A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Before Shopify, were you wondering, where my sales at? Now you're selling with Shopify, the global commerce platform supercharging your selling. You have no problem selling online, in person, on social media, and beyond. Gary, easy on the cha-ching. <clears throat> oh, sorry, but my Shopify sales are through the roof. Start selling with Shopify today and discover how millions of businesses around the world use Shopify to ignite their selling. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Shopify.com slash listen. Hello and welcome to the AEW Collision Review. I'm Adam Wilborn from What Culture. Join one of Dudley Boys, Michael Sidgwick from What Culture, uh, to review everything that happened on this weekend's episode of AEW Collision. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, and YouTube. Mm. <laughs> Daily wrestling podcast where we not only review AEW Collision, but also AEW Dynamite, Raw, SmackDown, the show formerly known as NXT 2.0. Oh, pay-per-views, premium live events. We have interviews, roundtable discussions, and a round of the week complete. quiz, of course, on wrestle culture. As I said, though, joined by Michael Sidgwick to review AEW Collision with horrible flashbacks right now to the pandemic. Indeed, yes. Apologies for the sound quality. If it's not up to uh, part, basically, I've got a tiny little sniffle, and I don't want to give Adam Wilborn my tiny little sniffle. It's very, very good of you. Uh, how's the weather where you are? In the same building. Oh, yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, we're in the same building. I'm just, I'm at, internet's terrible at home. So this is like the worst compromise ever. I can hear, I can hear everybody socializing in the office now. Oh. And I'm just getting, diligently getting on with my written work, is what I'm doing. Uh, no, it's, um, I would describe it as bright and it's getting closer to mild. Mm, we're, we're not almost warm yet. We're not warm, but we're getting closer to mild. We're almost through it, aren't we? Yeah, you're very good for for doing this. Sitting in what is known at what culture as the cave of sadness. Mm -hmm. But it's cold. yes, cold in here. What uh, what made cheer you up was uh, being one hundred percent correct about a EW collision. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah yeah. We'll get to the main event. I'll I'll, I'll do that. I'll take the victory lap. At the main event, so stick around for me being a smug prick. What did you make of this show? I thought the bookends were excellent mm. in different ways, and that was to its uh, credit. It was a very different feeling show at various points, and there was some stuff in between that was that ranged from decent to uh, <laughs> brother, uh, <laughs> brother, what's that? I've seen that ever, ever since you referenced it to me. I've seen it everywhere. I saw, last saw it uh, over the weekend when they were like, Super Sunday on Sky Sports, and it was Wolves versus Sheffield United or something. And they were like, Ugh. Uh. <laughs> uh, Let's get into it then, Sidge, because the show opened with a wild match. It was a no-DQ match between uh, Powerhouse Hobbs and Sammy Guevara. Um, they referenced Hobbs, who attacked Guevara on the previous night's Rampage. That led us to this match, and all friends of everyone associated with this match were basically banned from ringside. Uh, but Guevara, looking at the man mountain in, in front of him, um, who's going to be involved in meat madness, of course, in just a, just under a week's time. Sorry, 
Well, it's not very really mad, is it? The three-way. The three-way and Lance Archer feels like he exists in it to do the job and then disappear for four months. I think it was uh, AEW1, our friend Travis, mm. on a Twitter slash X, who said, we're at meat irrationality. <laughs> it's not mad, is it? And I agree with that wholeheartedly. I'm just there going, you guys know you've got Miro on the roster, right? <laughs> well, I don't think Miro knows mm. he's on that roster or doesn't care about being on it. But you've still got, like, the Butcher. Yeah. Brody King. This should be an eight-man. Yeah, I, didn't everyone have this idea didn't did anyone go oh, we want to see a three-way yeah come on make it come on you've i expect this to be a what's the word i'm looking for like a locker of meat mm-hmm. yes not a fridge so anyway guevara immediately goes after hobbs pair of jumping knees a springboard cutter takes hobbs to the floor uh dodges a charge from hobbs into the barricade but then comes off the stairs leaps off the stairs, straight into the arms of Hobbs, who hits a world's strongest slam onto the stairs just to kick us off. Um, couple into the apron as well, and then throws him into the barricade. Hobbs walks around to the commentators, grabs Kevin Kelly, and basically threatens him until he gives him his belt. Uh, so he whips Guevara, uh, who's slumped over the other stairs at this point. Uh, Guevara comes back with some super kicks and some rough chair shots. He uh, hits a Van Terminator, but Hobbs flings him into the barricade. Uh, Guevara manages to reverse another power slam into a cutter on the stairs and then nails Hobbs with a shot with a belt as well um, uh, to get his payback. Not yet, not the belt, a belt, Kevin Kevin Kelly's belt. Uh, I like the bit where Guevara pulled out a table and then slid the chair along it. I will talk about this indeed. Uh, He sets up a second table. Uh, Hobbs is uh, on the apron um, and he tries to, to flip him off there, but uh, Hobbs just grabs him, holds him in place, and it's a huge spine buster through the tables to take us to break. When we come back, Guevara's in trouble. He dodges uh, Hobbs' charge in the corner, uh, hits him for the with the GTH, which is very impressive for a nice two count. Uh, he grabs a monitor from ringside and clobbers uh, Powerhouse Hobbs with that, gets another table. Uh, but in the midst of faffing with that, Hobbs is recovered. He takes his head off of the lariat. He sets up a table in the ring. Uh, Guevara comes back with a super kick and a well, he goes for a double springboard cutter. And Hobbs catches him. Another world's strongest slam for a two count. Hobbs gets more tables, sets them up at ringside. Um, but Guevara counters Hobbs, sends him into the ring post, uh, grabs a beer from ringside, smashes it over Hobbs' head. Second one uh, lays him out on the tables. Guevara sets up a huge ladder in the ring uh, and just hits this preposterous senton bomb off the ladder in the in the ring to Hobbs, who's on the tables on the outside, sends him back inside uh, and then onto the other table that's been set up in the ring for the big finish. Um, but Hobbs sends the referee into the ropes. That crotches Guevara on the top rope uh, and Hobbs gets him world's strongest slam through the table to Sammy Guevara. One, two, three. This was a wild openersage. This was awesome. I've got one negative thing to say, not necessarily about the wrestlers or the decisions made, right? But it was just, it struck me, right? Remember, cast your mind all the way back to 2019. It's Fighter Fest, and uh, they try and bring back steel chairs for the boys. They try and shave it down uh, so that it's got the same sort of consistency. I know it's not super, but you know what I mean? The same... 
thinness of a baking tray yes like a solid steel chair but the way they shave it, it means that the it just it's weirdly weighted so the back of it cracks cody's head <laughs> gives him the stitches right and because AEW is the most scrutinized promotion in the world mm -hmm. it was all anyone could talk about that was the discourse of the day about they're bringing back chair shots to the head this ultimate transgression but and i made the point at the time some other people did uh, the whole it's it's repeated head trauma that mm -hmm. creates yeah. all these horrific problems that we get isn't the time for that discourse after this episode of collision and not that one isolated incident five years ago at fighter fest isn't it just underscore how it's all about pond scoring yeah. and pylons because jesus christ they are creeping back in and it's been this case for a while and yet because we're normalized to it it's not a hot, hot button topic this is the time to earnestly in good faith express concern over the dangers because now again even though it's not a big flashpoint headline thing now is the time to actually earnestly care and start expressing a bit of concern because this whole thing started when was it sammy hit hobbs with a chair i mean obviously they are mm -hmm. um you know players in this wider storyline with Callus versus jericho so this is the subplot like that's why this exists ultimately but they've tried to make it more personal with the mm -hmm. idea of the chair shot to hobbs and then there was another one here and this follows hobbs hitting kenny omega in the head mm -hmm. with a chair when hobbs first joined the family a few months ago you get unprotected chair shots to the head it blood and guts it's in wwf 1998 it was weekly it yeah. was weekly and um, we're nowhere near that so maybe now isn't yet the time to express worry but it's just funny how these things tend to work and and then and see a soul no. moved on to the latest bollocks that they don't really care about but talk about it regardless there was but, more they were more concerned with that uh boulder bump later hi i mean that, that was just funny i mean it was absolutely abysmal but it was also funny <laughs> right this deserves a lot of praise because it was yeah. awesome so now is the time to praise it um i'm wary of not putting over hobbs in this match so i want to make it clear a he was phenomenal phenomenal in it those repeated slams to the apron it just looks like a total monster in this one um and you know subjectively for my tastes i prefer to watch hobbs over Guevara. but i think it's fair to say that this sort of match is more synonymous with Guevara. he's worked more of them and this was this just felt to me like the kind of match that sammy had a big part in putting together i mean if you just sat there and took instructions i apologize but it just feels like this was this, is, this was a sammy Guevara kind of match um and it feels to me as well like this is the kind of match where you could be completely bored titless of sammy Guevara and not deny how awesome this was mm. it was so great and again like i think he's got a really underrated mind for putting this kind of thing together he gets the urgency of it all he was very much bang bang attack 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 like just really going at hobbs for as long as he could with as much urgency as he could and he gets that all-important unhinged vibe right and it's not just the pace at which he goes or the structure of the match it's just a feeling with his with his urgency and it's like i'm going to die if i don't give like launch everything at this colossus 
of an opponent I've got. So he just gets it. And you pointed out as well, Wilborn, and I was going to make uh, a, a point of putting this over as well. The bit where he set up a chair, uh, set, sorry, set the table, got a chair, slid it across. What a small and yet important detail that was, right? Because not only was it cool, not only can I not recall seeing it, mm. but what you do there is that you justify Sammy setting up the table in the first place, even though he's obviously the one who goes through it in the end. But what you've done with that decision is that you make it feel seamless. You don't just set it up, all right, oh, man, I've been put through it. Like, it existed. He set it up for a purpose, a, a an offensive strategy in the match. And it just so happened that it didn't really work because how can you put away a powerhouse Hobbs? He's an absolute giant. So I thought it was creative without feeling too elaborate. It was urgent. Um, and it just felt like it was seamless is the word. Like Sammy Guevara is really good at this seamless plunder element. Um, I thought this was wild. It's weird. Like a couple of weeks ago, like you can this is gonna sound like a mark speaking, and it probably is a mark speaking. No problem, uh, Tony Khan's problem is Will Warren. He's too good. <laughs> too good. If he just had a bit of discipline, he'd be the best booker of all time. Like, two weeks ago, I was looking at the landscape, anticipating the arrivals of Okada and Osprey, and I was watching that Jeff Hardy-Guevara match, which was mm. reckless. Um, Wardlow doing aimless squashes and not feeling like a headliner. And then over the past two episodes of TV, like Wardlow and Guevara feel reheated. Like, mm. how does he do it? Mm. Tony Khan is too good at this. He can get them. He can get his roster feeling important. But it's like, it's the plate spinning. He can spin the plates, but there's just too many to spin. Like, he can mm. reheat guys. He can get them over. He can make them, he can put them in scenarios where they excel. But there's always someone else that he then has to pay attention to. But away from the macro discussion of it all, this match kicked ass yeah i was all ready to write my notes for this right in uh powerhouse hobbs destroys sammy Guevara, but that wasn't the story of the match at all like you say the urgency of just like sammy Guevara looking at this going well i'm gonna fight him because like you say our factions are at war but look at the size of me and look at the size of him and look at what he can go through hence why he's hitting him with anything he can get his hands on he's bringing the stairs into the match about 30 seconds in to use it as a springboard to to launch his body a la sort of Derby Island, my entire body is a weapon sort of thing. And then, yeah, the two bottle shots, then the the huge ladder spot, and then the fact that he brings Powerhouse Hobbs and he's still like, I'm going to have to hit something else here if I'm going to finish this guy off. And I just love the way that Powerhouse Hobbs just didn't magically recover whilst Sammy Guevara is taking 10 seconds to go to the top rope or whatever. Powerhouse Hobbs just goes, oh, I'm in a bit of trouble here. Just one arm flings the referee into the ropes, which, yeah, crotches Sammy Guevara. And then, you know, that's 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 the end of it. I don't know. We'll talk more about it later on this week, of course. But I've gone from, yeah, probably they give the meat madness thing to, to Wardlow just to, yeah, elevate him and the Undisputed Kingdom. I'm like... How do you not beat? How do you not have Hobbs win this one? Now it's it's like you say they've they've really reheated uh, some it's, some talents. There's just too many to reheat. Yes, exactly. Um, we go backstage. There's Mox and Claudio. Uh, Mox talks about Claudio first training with uh, William Regal and Dave Taylor of all people. 
he was uh, at the at the training center uh, waiting outside when they arrived and he didn't have a car he'd walked 20 miles to get to the building um he's like a frog on a bicycle um he uh, he said look that's the sort of guy claudio is and 20 minutes is nothing to him or to me uh, a time limit draw though is unacceptable and they accept ftr's challenge for a match at revolution uh claudio talks about ftr looking to and living in the past uh whilst the bcc have created wrestling for the future uh and a mox concludes by saying ftr are gonna have to swim in deep water to survive them a great great promo moxley's got such a way of incorporating a real life anecdote into why a story exists as it does the theme of the story so i really like this food i really like the matches it's pretty great for the undercard mm. my only concern is that on a show that i do not need to get in its own way revolution like we've discussed this at length again it's probably a good thing that i'm worrying again yeah how my daft mind works but on a show where revolution is it just looks so wonderful the only thing it needs to do is not trip over its own feet before the finish line it just needs to not get in its own way i'm slightly apprehensive that there's an undercard match premised on the idea that 20 minutes isn't long enough for them to go it's like oh i mean hopefully that's just a way to make it unpredictable to protect the team who ends up losing I don't need this to go 25 minutes, even though that's the story indicates. Mm. I do not need this to be the longest match on the card and get the building it around the idea that 20 minutes isn't long enough for them. That's a slight worry. Um, but on the night, I'm sure it'll be fantastic. Um, and yeah, Moxley's just like, these the way he folds in these anecdotes you put over Claudio. How do you put someone over by detailing their journey from an airport to a to another building? That's the magic of John Moxley. And that was followed by FTR in action against Shane Taylor Promotions, um, who had a good account of themselves. They they managed to to, to control FTR. They they isolated Dax Harwood, um, but the comeback saw Harwood get out of the way of a big splash from Taylor. Get away from Moriarty. He was tr trying to desperately stop him from getting to Cash. Cash comes in. Amazing hot tag on Cash. We've mm. talked about this on many occasions. Um, the finish sees uh, a cheap shot from Shane Taylor on the outside to Wheeler. Uh, Moriarty got a near fall off the back of that, but Harwood gets a blind tag, uh, and they basically hit the doomsday device on Moriarty to get the one, two, three, as expected, of course. Like you said, they're facing BCC uh, at the paper in just a few days' time. Um, Post-match, FDR grabbed the mic and uh, Wheeler saying that uh, it's going to take more than being stepped on once to get rid of FTR. They're cockroaches, they said. Um, Harwood talks about how Moxie was the king of the castle in AEW, uh, but they're not afraid of the BCC. Uh, and Harwood said, to be a king, you've got to kill one, and they're coming to revolution ready to kill. Yeah, this was all great. Not great. Like The match was good, not great. But the promo was excellent. Like it, it, they really sold you on the idea that even though this is an undercard match, that probably genuinely exists to get some guys on the show who kind of need to be on it for political reasons or because they're great or a combination of everything. But Dax made us feel like he needs this one. They need to win. Um, both teams have made it feel like they are desperate to win. And the match was compact, well worked, conceptually really tight there's a there's an extent to which you can care about a match involving 
two wrestlers in Shane Taylor promotions who yeah. lose every single time. There's a natural cap on your investment there. But in the moment, there was some really cool stuff and they wrestled it logically. And it was all a backdrop for the promo and the challenge, but a good one at that. I saw some people kicking off on social media. I don't want to talk about this all the time, Sid. I know you don't either, but some people kicking off about that spot where Moriarty's got like a, well, it's, it's all the beginnings of a crucifix bomb, basically, but he's just holding him in place, basically, so that Shane Taylor can hit that knee to Dax Harwood. What were people moaning about? I mean, realistically, I have absolutely zero idea. Maybe it didn't look that smooth, but this was a version of the struggle looking good. Yes. Um, in my opinion, whenever it doesn't look totally smooth, there's always a, a debate as to whether it can complement or detract from the match. For me, it was definitely the former. What you've got here is if you're a, a tag team, right, and you've got one brawler who's massive, and you've got one wrestler who's incredibly capable technically, isn't having the technical wrestler sort of thwart his opponent, lock them up, and leave them unable to block a massive knee to the face from an absolute unit of a man. Yeah. It's not a really good double team considering their different stylistic qualities. Yeah, I just I think sometimes people just like you say, always go through AW with such a fine tooth comb. But I, I thought that was, yeah, like you say, they stumbled a bit on the setup, but once they actually executed it, it was, I don't know, anyway. There was something conceptually unacceptable on this show. Yes. Only as it was, and I can understand one of them getting a bit of a kick in. I, I thought this was good. Yeah. A little bit of a struggle towards a logical double team, given the characters involved. Mm. Anyway, we get a video package hyping up Danielson Akiyama for later on. And then we got Thunder Rosa in action against Lady Bird Monroe. Uh, squash match this, basically. Another win for Rosa. She had a running drop kick against the ropes and a Tijuana bomb for a win after about two minutes. Maybe a little bit of a nod to, to Roosh, perhaps, perhaps in her post-match pose, I saw some people saying. Yeah, doesn't feel like accident that she did that. So that's one to keep an eye on. Um, for two minutes, I really enjoyed this. Yes. It, it had that feeling of, um, is this going to ride? It's going to ride. Has the enhancement talent who's come in to do a job overstepped a certain boundary? Is this getting a little bit too hot and physical than it snug? Yeah, go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then that was just the the story that they told, and a little fright, maybe an overreaction to that fright. But in the story. Felt like a little sort of pissy struggle for as long as it went. Mm. I've seen, I have seen considerably worse. We need to do a match to get someone on TV matches for two minutes. I really had a good time with this. Yeah, um, we got a backstage interview with uh, Statlander and and Willow and Stokely Hathaway. Um, Renee Paquette's talking to Stokely about the uh, hostility from Julia Hart and Sky Blue. Uh, but Statland just basically says, enough of all that. Sky Blue, let's have a let's have a let's have a bare knuckle fight next week. Ah, I mean, um, I'm, honest, I'm being brutally honest. Yeah. Um, I was just like, oh, that's still happening, is it? The the I because I, I I assume that's been going on, on on Rampage, or maybe it's just on the, the the days that I've missed with being off recently. I was like, oh yeah, Stokely wanted to be 
pals with these guys and it's causing problems on social media, basically. Anyway, let's talk uh, Bing Bing Scissor Ging versus the Iron Savages. Um, it's up to your perspective, I suppose, on all this as to whether or not you think Max Caster deliberately botched this rap because he was referencing management or just completely you know it was going to happen eventually it happened once on a rampage if i remember and they just went i'm going to do this again but obviously this is live tv pal um his rap went awry uh and uh, i can't remember which one it was i think it was boulder one of them was just like loving the fact that he botched it regardless of whether it was deliberate or not um anyway it was uh, colton gunn Joe Watt and uh, Billy Gunn in the Bang Bang Scissor Gang corner. Um, they murder Colton briefly, but he manages to get over to the corner and goes, I'm not going to tag my dad in. I'm going to tag in Jay White. Um, it ends with uh, Bronson accidentally splashing Jameson. Uh, and uh, <laughs> this was where daddy ass hits the famous on bronson who goes down for it pops up and then jumps over the top rope a la sort of sean michaels at the summer slam here in the end uh, jay white hits uh jack jameson with a blade runner to get the the win for his team i mean there was a nothing match and how i'm sick of saying it was a nothing match in connection with literally everything the acclaimed have done since becoming a trio it's ridiculous it's so tedious they're a fun live act i get it even though when i saw them live twice last year no one really cared but on tv i guess it's fun people like them i don't um i'm trying to go at it with this perspective obviously i think you could say objectively though not as hot as it used to be no they're still an over live act so maybe i'm just gonna have to get used to it but on tv none of this stuff does anything for me it's a total skip it's a total I try not to do it, but like fairly certain if I if I doom scroll when watching this match, I'm not I don't think like a match of the air candidate's gonna break out. You know what I mean? Mm. Um it, the, the acclaimed are one of those acts where it's so easy. And honestly, I'm not being funny. I don't do this, but I do do it naturally, but then I'll put it down the phone and rewind. You are battling people scrolling mm. big time um even if you've got every intention to watch this and not channel hop and the acclaimed and then nothing matches it's so easy it's all right i'm gonna go on my phone um so when i rewound it i saw this spot here's the thing right i'm fairly certain bear country deliberately are doing a comedy act right we've seen them do their one of their crowd appeals or poses or whatever involves them emulating analingus mm -hmm. they are one of the many big lad tag teams now and i've mentioned before how i feel like other teams do it better who are trying to go for that survivor series backstage promo energy Pelham, that kind of thing mm -hmm. seen it done better um so what i'm arriving at here in my long-winded way is i'm fairly certain that was a comedy bump and they know how ridiculous it looked it wasn't funny enough you know what I mean? Mm. I, I think it was neither now nor something. I don't think it was the most dumb logic gap you've ever seen. But then again, did The Rock sell the stunner in any less ridiculous a way if we're going to do that? I watched it and thought uh, it was a bit of a swing and a miss in terms of getting a massive pop for a ridiculous oversell. 
And then the you know the Carl Gotch Brigade are out on Twitter. <laughs> I couldn't give a toss. Yeah, I could not give a toss. For me, the problem with the comedy spot wasn't that a comedy spot existed; is that the comedy spot wasn't that funny. Mm. Like you say, this isn't happening in Joe Swerve Hangman at the papers. It this is happening at seventeen, but you know it can't happen on Collision. Daddy, I, ass. I don't care. I don't care. No, Daddy ass. Is sitting on a big guy's head with his ass, and the big guy then has to be out of the ring because we're going to the finish. So he does this preposterous bump. I don't the pearl clutching is ridiculous. Well, it's just like it's what you always say, bad faith actors, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't think it was a good comedy spot. It was a funny because it was a bad comedy spot. Anyway, I've wasted too much breath on this. <laughs> Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Before we go any further, though, this podcast is brought to you by Rocket Money. Do you ever feel like money is just flying out of your account and you've got no idea where it's going? Well, it's all those subscriptions. I mean, think about it. Between streaming services, fitness apps, delivery services, it is endless. I'm guilty of this, so I used Rocket Money to help me find out what subscriptions I'm actually spending money on, and it was more shocking than a wrestling betrayal. You see, Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members is an average of $720 a year with over $500 million in cancelled subscriptions. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash wrestling. That's rocketmoney.com slash wrestling. Rocketmoney.com slash wrestling. Instead, let's move on to uh, a favourite of every wrestling fan if they've got a brain in their nut. Uh, Brian Danielson, he's backstage with Lexi um, and he's he's saying, look, I'm fighting Akiyama tonight, but uh, you know, he puts him over one of the best wrestlers of all time and coincidentally, uh, one of uh, Eddie Kingston's idols uh, and uh, he's very happy that Kingston was going to be sat there on commentary to watch him beat up one of his heroes um, and he says, look, I respect Akiyama for everything he's done for uh, but I don't respect don't respect Eddie Kingston because he's not a professional. He's had all this, he had all this incredible potential and he wasted it. A good fired up promo here from Danielson. He's awesome. He's absolutely awesome. Yeah. <laughs> More on him in a little bit. Um, because next we had, sorry, Steve, I've oh, really messed up my notes here because I appear to have written down a Malachi Black singles match. <laughs> yeah. I mean, fair play to Brian Keith. He was up against it because Malachi Black, Sige, hasn't lost a singles match in AEW since June of 2021. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, he hasn't wrestled. Commentary on this match, by the way. The way they try to spin it. Just don't mention it, for Christ's sake. Everyone want, everyone fears him. <laughs> no one wants to take a singles match with Malachi Black. Well, I'm sure, you know, the most fighting champions would. Yeah. He just doesn't... Well, I, just don't mention it, man. I uh, I saw someone uh, sharing the the quote. Oh, Kevin Kelly, Malachi Black hasn't lost a singles match in AEW since June of 2021, and then they just wrote underneath, 
also hasn't had a singles match in AW since June of 2022. So I will say before we do the match recap and my thoughts on it, Kevin Kelly has got this totally irritating um approach to what I hate most in commentary. It's where you overcorrect on something if it doesn't make sense or you try to spin something into mm. what it isn't like you know when they say oh my god you know yeah he didn't hit the move but he was so disoriented and confused that he fell over or some bollocks when a commentator has to overcorrect and they just stretch credulity i feel not even that clever, but I feel gravely insulted and I cannot stand it. And the worst thing is, it's like I can vaguely understand, right? If you're caught and you've just seen a move that wouldn't hurt a fly and a wrestler has up and decided to sell it, you're the commentator. You just, I mean, you have to just put your, you know, you have to trap your balls on that zip. Yeah. And you have to look like a tit because the wrestler has kind of forced you to. Kevin Kelly does it when there's no need to do it. The amount of times you'll say, sometimes I think the other, it happened in New Japan a few times, it's happened on collision. I think the other commentators just go, Kevin's at it. We'll just talk over him. Mm. You'll start going into these big, like, meditations on why wrestlers put things under the ring. Even I don't give a toss about that at this Mm. point. And then he was talking about, yeah, you know, People fear Malachi Black, you know, it's not why he's had a singles match in two years. You don't have to mention it. <laughs> Shut up and call the action. Uh, anyway, uh, back and forth from uh, from Malachi Black and Brian Keith. They uh, trade some kicks. Uh, Brian Keith got... Sorry, on. one more thing about Kevin Kelly. I think <laughs> when Collision first started, and I might have pointed this out at the time, it just flashed in my head, was when, like, he was... Maybe a forbidden door, but basically, as is often the case in AEW, a match might have worked its way around ringside for a while. I don't think anyone five years in is going, count out, uh, count out. Yeah, I think everyone gets it. Every now and then, you know, Dave will pipe up. It's five years in. It's ECW adjacent rules. New Japan adjacent. It's loose officiating. We get it. Kevin Kelly, you know, been a long history of uh, rigid rule enforcement that gets in the way of creativity and good realistic match outcomes. Like, Shut up, man! You don't have to say, just say, yeah, we, you know, we want a want a clean result here. Sometimes the officiating's loose. At an absolute minimum, that's what you have to say, or you don't even have to say it at all. Don't go into this epic meditation <laughs> about how for years match finishes were not clean and it wasn't good i'll just shut your mouth so uh yeah keith got in a decent amount of offense he got a near fall off a suplex early on goes for a tiger driver black escapes so hits him with an elbow and uh boots him off the apron into the barricade to take us to a break uh keith when we come back uh looks like he's gonna get hit with a black mask but he ducks it and hits a great tiger driver for a two count uh he went for the shining wizard but black just nails in in the head with the black mask uh to get the one two three post-match the lights go out uh and when they come back on mark briscoe is in there and they'd highlighted the the history of the house of black and mark briscoe and him getting bloodied up a couple of weeks ago as well he's in there with a kendo stick buddy matthews and brody king try to run down to make the save but he gets rid of them 
and pulls out the spike. He goes to stab Malachi Black in the head with it, but Black moves and uh, he gets it impaled in the turnbuckle. And of course, this allows uh, the House of Black, their numbers game, to take control. Black mass to Mark Briscoe and a gonzo bomb from Brody King. Uh, Mark Briscoe is laid out by the House of Black yet again. FTR have gone off from then. <laughs> uh, I, that was a bit of a plot hole. Um, again, too, there's too many people make too many friends in AEW. So FTR, friendship ended with Mark Briscoe. Daniel Garcia is my new best friend. Now it's friendship ended with Daniel Garcia. Yeah. Eddie Kingston is my new best friend. It's, it's just there's too many people being mates. It's not applied correctly, but it is all friends wrestling to a degree in terms of the fiction of it. Not really good friends. Wouldn't want them no. after me long term. Anyway, right. Well, I was talking before about Kevin Kelly and you know people's tendency to talk bollocks, which is a nice segue to Malachi Black, who mm. did the same thing and who wrestled here. Um, I didn't think this was very good. Mm. Um, the byproduct of uh the wild series of coincidences that have led to a two-year layoff from singles matches. Or the fact that he doesn't really want to wrestle them. Um, he might have, you know, I've got a sniffle. He might have job itis. We don't know. We don't know. We don't mm. know. But all I know is, like, what is it about um, Malachi Black's Forbidden Closet of Mystery that fascinates you? Not very little these days. Um, but the byproduct of not working that many singles matches is when you do a TV length match. I thought you looked laboured and gassed, personally. Um, this wasn't... Like, conceptually, it was okay. The layout was fine. Um, but there was a point when he charged at Brian Keith in the corner. The idea was for Brian Keith to lift him up. Black mm -hmm. was supposed to do that sort of pendulumy thing and go on the outside and just, just gassed on his shoulders. And then mm -hmm. he had to flip off and they had to go to something else. Um this was not sharp. Like he saw glimpses of just how good Malachi Black is on his day. But this is very laboured. It felt mm. way longer. I can't remember a more generous "This is awesome" chant than this. Mm. It really annoys us as well because the worst thing about uh, I try not to think about it. It creeps up. But the bad thing about bad faith criticisms of wrestling is when those criticisms manifest. Like there are certain, there's a certain match structure and a back and forth where, irrespective of the execution, I think people recognize the beats and what wrestlers try to do in there that they just confuse it with awesomeness. When it's and this wasn't awesome, mm. this wasn't even very good. This was this was labored, mm. and uh, I, 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 Malachi Black versus Kenny Omega was the best in ring meeting of 2023. For those three or four minutes that was now better than I saw. So I know he's amazing, but well, let's get more of these in. I got yeah, a horrible chill down my spine again because I did the thing that I did last time, Sage, which was, hey, you know, like you say, uh, it was all I really remember is the black mass at the end, right? I was like, hey, this probably means we're getting Mark Briscoe versus Malachi Black one on one, and then I was like, no, I think what Sidgwick said, it was a three on one beatdown. Who could possibly come and save Mark Briscoe? Uh, well, I turn heel now. Yeah, well, that's, that was that man. All right, so, uh, <laughs> um, 
<laughs> we got a uh, a video package hyping up as if it needs it. Uh, Sting and Darby Allen and the Young Bucks at Revolution, complete with that amazing Sting promo from Dynamite last week. Uh, and then it was uh, Serena D versus Lady Frost, our second women's match on Collision. Um, Deeb's just, I mean, Deeb's just fantastic. Lady Frost, shout out to us all by the because by all accounts, stepping up uh, short notice due to uh, medical, I can't remember who wasn't medically cleared for this, but yeah, a, a late notice uh, step up. And I thought, you know, they go back and forth early on. Um, Deeb uh, forced uh, Frost down to the mat and got a reverse figure four that sends her into the ropes. She has to get to the ropes. Um, she takes her down with a dragon screw leg whip. She's targeting one of the legs and weakening it. And uh, she hits a neck break or hits a pair of clotheslines to Serena Deeb and a neck breaker in the ropes. Uh, twist and shout neck breaker for a near fall. But Frost comes back, step up kick in the corner, and a cartwheel air raid crash for a two. Um, she avoids the hurricane kick, does deep though, hits a Pepsi twist, and then, yeah, targeting that injured leg, gets a single leg crab on Lady Frost for the submission. Um, match was good, but I really want to talk more about post-match, if that's all right, Sidge, because after the match, Deeb does her promo, talks about the women's division heating up and says, um, I'll put the locker room on notice, If any, and if any woman wants to join this women's division, I am waiting for you. She's here to elevate the division. Uh, when the professor wrestles, the picture doesn't go black and white, the lights don't turn out. She simply wrestles, and she's here to put the wrestling back in All Elite Wrestling. Was this Deeb teasing a bit of a dream match with Mercedes and Manet? I sure hope so, because I think Serena Deeb's fantastic. In the ring, I'm not convinced that then again, she's had some of the better matches on pay-per-view um, that I've seen. So, I don't know. Just, just, she doesn't feel like she's that much of an attraction mm. um, for the for the first Mercedes Money like, story-driven pay-per-view build. And I've said it before, and it's a podcast is certainly safer to say this on X, I hope. Don't clip it. Like, Mercedes Money cannot do what CM Punk did at the first dance. There isn't that seven-year story. There isn't that, why have you come back? There isn't that, we've missed you so much and it was so unbelievable that you'd ever come back that the matches can wait, we want to hear from you. Um, I think Mercedes Money is far better off wrestling at big business. Hmm. And I think the way to go, like we saw the introduction at, La at Wrestle Kingdom last year, it was not great. Hmm. Um, so I think the best way forward is open challenge, Air quotes, mystery opponent, match, post-match, maybe a tease of what she's there to do, the first significant thing she's there to do in the short term, mentioned in the post-match, but I think having money wrestle in her first appearance is absolutely the way to go there. And as you say, Wilborn, like as few better opponents than Serena Deeb at... Like if Serena Deeb loses loads of matches, she's so good that I'm like, I'll watch every single one of them thereafter. Yeah. But she's not so great as a TV character that I'm like, give her the belt and have her on every TV show. Yeah. So perfect. Like, there is no one better to lose to Monet first time out, really. Yeah. I I, I just think it's it works. Like, because like you say, if, if it was, uh, don't forget at Big Business, Lady Frost doing her traditional open challenge. It's like, You've got to do, I guess, Serena Deep Professor Challenge yeah. makes sense in that scenario, like you say. And I just, yeah, I I wouldn't think any less of Serena Deep if she lost that match. Um, and I think she's just been been brilliant since she came back. 
Um, so our main event time, Danielson versus Junaki Yama uh, with Eddie Kingston on commentary. He stands, he doesn't put the headset on, he's just watching Danielson's uh, entrance. And uh, they highlight as part of the uh, uh, entrance, because uh, people uh, have arguments about this on social media, um, uh, that Junaki Yama has wrestled before. Um, even in AEW, and yeah. uh, he doesn't explode a suplex. So there you go, everyone. They'll find something else to complain about, of course. Uh, anyway, um, so they, they get into it, uh, very sort of cagey opening, understandably, um, and respectful, I suppose, as well, because uh, Kingston, I noticed, meanwhile, was, was laughing on commentary about being accused of wasting his potential while sat there with three championships. Yeah. Um Danielson starts attacking an old man's knees, which I felt very bad for, for Akiyama for he gets the, the surfboard stretch. Uh, but Akiyama is no slouch. He starts going after Danielson's arms with arm bars and what have you. Uh, Danielson sent him to the floor, uh, but as he goes for a big dive, he takes to a commercial. Uh, he just gets nailed with a forearm by Akiyama. Um, and as we come back, Akiyama drops a knee on Danielson's neck on the apron. Um, but Danielson hits him with a suplex on the floor and a running knee strike off the apron. Uh, a shotgun drop kick from the top rope follows from Brian Danielson and the running kicks in the corner. Uh, but Akiyama fires back with a big lariat. Um, but Danielson grabs Akiyama's arm and drags him down into a label lock. But Akiyama gets to the ropes uh, and comes back with repeated knees to Danielson's head. But he caught a running kick, did Brian Danielson, turned it into a single leg crab. Wow. Uh, and uh, and he pulls Akiyama up into a German suplex as well. Uh, he hits the kicks, does Danielson, but uh, Akiyama just out of nowhere snatches him with, it, with an exploded suplex for a near fall. He transitions into a guillotine choke, and Kingston's just loving this, talking about how that choked out Kenda Kabashi. Um, but Danielson makes it to the ropes, head kicks Akiyama. Um, they trade strikes. Akiyama hits an exploder and a running knee, and they fight back to their feet uh, and hit with dueling knees to take them both down. Um, trade forearms. Akiyama knocks Danielson down, goes for the wrist clutch exploder, but Danielson rolls out of it. Big knee to the head from Brian Danielson, and the Busaiku knee gets him the one, two, three. Let's talk match, and then we'll talk post match. I um, I was worried for the first half. Um, they didn't have me in the first half. I'm not going to lie. Um, <laughs> it felt a bit tentative. Like, you know, someone like Akiyama at his age, he has to really warm up. Mm. Um, and then they really bungled that um, suplex from the apron to the floor. It was getting to the point where I was starting to worry about the match quality and feel sorry for the, you know, the ageless legend, which is absolutely not ideal. And then the second half of this match, I thought, ruled. Even then, you do need a little bit of, like a lot of latitude and sentiment goes a long way in a match like this. If you approach it with an open mind and you watch it as a long-standing fan of Akiyama and those glory days, but genuinely, Danielson is so great, and you know Akiyama's Akiyama. I'm not mm. saying he's like a prop, but you know it's Danielson who is tasked with carrying the load of elevating this into like a really worthy special TV match, worthy of the graphic. And he's just a, he's a goddamn magician. There's a bit where you could overdo it in this situation. Like you could do an earnest version of Shawn Michaels against Hulk Hogan, where you're just bumping like an idiot. <laughs> you're really trying to meet in the middle of and like trying to help him out. 
but like he didn't bump too stupidly. But at the same time, when he turns himself inside out from the knee and the lariat, you believe it because he's so good. It's a bit when Akiyama is wrenching on that arm, and you can uh, the timing of this like audible selling, if you like, from Danielson was great because you could feel a twist in an angle where it's like, oh, that looks that looks like it sucks. And then that's when like Danielson howls in agony. Like, he just knows when to like he knows how the when in everything that's the ultimate drama and success for a pro wrestling match but like there's an extent you should go like you have to go hard on the not oversell but you have to really try but you kind of try too hard um otherwise you just reveal it to be a bit of a sham um, and i thought danielson measured it perfectly like as i said like you didn't just scream and sell for everything like oh we need to overcompensate for akiyama's lack of movement if you like but like the second that arm wrench, that's when it's like, ah, you'd probably do the same thing. I was doing yeah. that in my living room. And just the way the layout of the match as well, like you're never ever gonna make it feel like, I don't know, too like Akiyama's grace, like within weeks, basically, within months. But like you're not gonna get 2024 Danielson versus 2005 Akiyama. It's just not happening. But with the way it was plotted and structured, that bit where they go knee for knee. Mm. Like it, like in those tiny little glimpses, you thought they're on even keels here, mm. weren't. but the match was laid out to create that illusion. And I thought they did a fantastic job. All I needed was were those glimpses. I did not go into this thinking it was going to be a five star, it would just yeah. be unrealistic. All I needed were those glimpses. And Danielson is so mentally sharp at putting these things these things together that i got those glimpses um i've kind of got a similar appraisal of the post match which you lead us through yes uh smug prick that he is brian danielson he celebrates and he looks directly at eddie kingston and then offers a handshake to his hero akiyama uh which happens and then danielson immediately turns and flips off eddie kingston and akiyama's like well don't do that that's so he slaps Danielson across the face, and Danielson's like, "Look, uh, right, sorry, yeah, that's that's inappropriate." He offers his hand again, and hoys Junaki armor right in the cock. Uh, Kingston immediately dives in and tackles Danielson. The brawl kicks off. Claudio hits the ring, helping Danielson beat up Kingston. FTR run down to run off the BCC, and it's announced by Tony Schiavone as we go off the air that uh, it is going to be Kingston and FTR taking on Danielson, Claudio and Moxley on Dynamite this week. Uh, but yeah, you called the disrespect from Danielson perfectly. I, well, not perfectly because they did a better job of my idea. So I tweeted and I said on the preview of this uh, pod on Friday um, that Danielson should kick Akiyama in the nuts or spit on his face or kick him in the nuts. <laughs> um because as really nicely and slowly as this program has been built between Danielson and Kingston, it's getting to the point of the pay-per-view now. We're going home. It needs, it needed that juice. We needed to see Eddie lose his mind. And they did it, but in a much better way. So my idea was he feigns to shake his hand in the post-match and then just kicks him the balls to draw the ire of Kingston. And someone else pointed this out on Twitter in my reply, and I completely agreed and had the same thought at the same time. This was such a better way of doing it because what you do is you don't make it feel corny. Like, all right, okay, that's that guy's idol. I'm just going to kick him in the balls. Because I think that would betray Danielson. Mm. I think the idea is, like, if you want to 
have someone like Akiyama coming come in as like a tertiary character for this purpose, everyone must respect him. Like the institution must respect him. He must be this universally respected legend that you can't just abuse for heat. You've got to be really careful with it. And I thought they were super careful in a way that I didn't predict it'd be quite as clever. So the idea is Danielson has this genuine reverence for Akiyama, which again builds the legend, preserves the legend. Um, it's how you should do it. It can't be too cheap. And it's only when he decides, Aha, I'll be a hero, a little sneaky bird flip to Kingston that he doesn't know Akiyama sees. So Akiyama slaps him. And uh, that's when he can piss off Danielson. He shouldn't just do these cheap things for heat. So I thought they added another layer to it, which is just so really, really clever. The bad thing about this is that it was all a bit rushed and they were too desperate to set up the trios match in fairly typical kind of frustrating AEW style. I would have let the whole scene play out, beat out, out of loud each beat to go on that little bit longer. It felt like, right, we've got a trios match to build. Let's do mm-hmm. it. They need to watch the TV show next week. Very rushed, very AEW. I thought conceptually, this is all a much better idea and it probably deserved a bigger reaction in the building, but they didn't really get it. But as I said, I had so much time for the, the plot, Pete, which is why I came up with it. And I had so much time for the way they've tweaked it to make it even better than my pitch that it really wasn't that hot an angle. It was a really clever angle. It was more clever than it was hot, but it was so clever that I'll give them a pass. Mm. What do you make of this uh, collision overall then? Book ended by two really, really great or very good and different, crucially yeah. different matches. Everything in between was either filler, um, things that didn't necessarily need to exist. Like we did not need to see FTR versus Shane Taylor promotions. We didn't need to see that. We probably didn't need to see those two incredibly predictable, glorified women squashes. A lot of filler on this show. Mm. Um, one underwhelming match, uh, Malachi Black's return to singles action again, laboured. And so they stopped caring about Mark Briscoe. If everyone's got too many friends in AEW except like the best guy in the promotion. <laughs> and suddenly lost his, his friends. It's, I, that was, I understand, right, why you don't have FTR come out in that moment. Yes. And the reason is we've already done the House of Black feud and they've won it and he can't revisit it that early. But it was a plot hole nonetheless. It was an oversight. Um, and again, that's a byproduct of Tony Khan being very slapdash with how many trios and multi-man. Yeah a multi-person matches that he books because he loses track and this has been a pretty um bad trend for maybe even 18 months now with all of the mates that orange Cassidy met who didn't help him out when the bcc were attacking him like he's long since lost the plot quite literally can't of who's mates with who mm-hmm. and who should be coming out to help who and then when you see the next not a new when supergroup get assembled they become even more difficult to take seriously because you know they're just devices to make matches and to prolong matches. And I needs to be a bit tighter with this sort of thing. Mm. Um, yeah, if that opener and that main event don't happen, this collision's kind of stinky. But salvaged by the bookends, a 7 out of 10. Mm. 
And we are, what, less than a week away now from uh, AEW Revolution, of course. But let us know your thoughts. Yeah, uh, I am at the soundboard. Uh, Nine days. <laughs> Do let us you know your thoughts on AEW Collision. Uh, on X at what culture WWE watch they can follow both of us you can follow Michael Sidgwick at yeah for more prescient takes if you want spoilers I'm a dickhead I'm sorry follow me at M Sidgwick you can follow me at Adam Wilborn follow us all at what culture WWE make sure you subscribe to what culture wrestling wherever you get your podcasts from uh, for daily wrestling podcasts the um what is it? Raw preview. That was it. I was going to say SmackDown review. No need to do that this week. Uh, and the Raw preview is available right now. We'll be reviewing Elimination Chamber later on today as well, of course. Uh, and me, Sige, and uh, Hamlet will be back next Monday to review AEW Revolution live on YouTube. All going well, Sidgwick. But for now... Hey, uh, sirrah, sirrah. This has been the uh, Collision Review. My I thanks. don't do the all going well anymore. Well, fair enough. Uh, this sirrah, is really... sirrah, that's me. This has been the Collision Review. My thanks to Michael Sidgwick. Thank you for joining us. And we will see you soon.